Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Jake Moho. Um, Jake, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Uh, And for people that can't see him, he has a spectacular beard like myself. So we like him even more for that. (laughs) Hey, so good to be with you today. Uh, Andrew said, my name's Jake and I live and um, and have lived most of my life in Stafford in the middle of England and uh, married to Freya and two kids, Rufus and Matilda and um, a dog called Bear and eight chickens living in the garden. That kind of makes up our, our household. And um, so I, I spend my time in a number of different ways. So I lead intergenerational mission teams, uh, predominantly in Southeast Asia. Spent a lot of time out in the Philippines doing development work there, working with impoverished communities, um, trying to help them to help themselves get themselves um, out of poverty, out, you know, up on their feet. Um, look at social enterprises, land management, um, installing good sanitation, it, you know, just all sorts of different things and you kind of you know you have to skill up constantly as, as you're going along doing that um so i find myself with a, a kind of weird cv from from all of that stuff um and then also um a bit of web design and business management my wife and i run antenatal classes she's a midwife so she does all the teaching i do all the back end stuff for that and that's great because we get to get really close to, to families that they're you know at the start of their family life and, and Freya just has this amazing influence into families' lives. She has this kind of anointing where people open up to her and just want to tell her everything and people come back to her year after year for life advice and she's like, oh, I don't know, I'm not an expert in that but you know she listens to Holy Spirit and she just has this amazing way of influencing people so that's a lot of fun um, and yeah involved with stuff with Youth with a Mission um, various kind of family events and children and youth events um yeah life is quite varied I get pulled into doing lots of different things and um like you guys I just tend to say yes to things when I get invited sounds good and for people listening to this um and they think this Jake sounds like an interesting character and if they're listening to this on audio they might want to actually see your beard so um where can they (laughs) where can they see that where can they see some of the videos that you're putting up there especially around the topic we're going to talk about which is self-sustainability but where can they do that sure. even your wife's business where can they find out about that as well yeah so that's expectingclasses.co.uk um so if you are expecting or you know you're expecting or at some point you are going to be expecting a baby um then expectingclasses.co.uk it's a great place to to find out more info and to kind of equip you for pregnancy labor birth early parenting and we have an online course so no matter where you are in the world you can access that um, and then our personal blog is jakemahal.com. Um, we're honestly not very good at blogging or updating anything. Um, we prefer just to invite people to come and hang out and, and see how we live. But um, there are some bits on there of our self-sufficiency, our gardening, our eco stuff, our healthy living. Um, and in the next couple of weeks, we'll be um, putting up something there that's all about um, whole life health, um, which is actually a new business that we're going to launch Um somewhere perhaps later this year and, and kind of feed families into um, so that they you know you've got kids growing up living life healthy adults knowing how to, to navigate some of the 
um, the food systems and, and health systems we find ourselves in today, which are largely failing us. Um, so if that floats your boat in a couple of weeks, there'll be an interesting post there about that. Um, okay, so to, we live in a time where everyone's very aware of their financial situation, their ability to look after themselves. Uh, we get a lot of people messaging us uh, for, I don't know why us, well, I mean, we have this network and so people want to hear from speakers addressing certain issues. So we might get people messaging about financial advice. Um, we have people messaging about uh, self-sustainability in terms of fruits and veg and growing their own stuff. So they're not completely dependent on other sources. And so we're thinking about people to have one to talk about this and you uh, a name that came to mind. So we want to bring you one. Can you... For, to start this off, can you just talk to us about your background? How did you actually become interested in this? Have you always been interested in it? What was your back journey on this side of things? Sure. Um, so I grew up um, with my granddad gardening a lot. Um, so grew up, um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' place and there's a big fruit cage there with blueberries and raspberries and red currants and uh, he had rhubarb, he had various fruit trees and different shrubs. And then he was also, uh, you know, into kind of his geometry in the garden as well. So there were nicely shaped bushes and things. Um, so I guess in some ways there was some influence there, but it wasn't ever really something that had, had taken hold early in life. And um, so my background actually um, kind of academically was, um, was theology and sports science. That's what I studied at university. Um, so I, I've always been into kind of living healthy and what does it mean to steward our bodies really well and um and i've always had this i guess a, a very holistic approach to to spirituality or um however you want to term it you know that god has given us these bodies and i want to know how to steward it well um you know for for the hebrew mindset there's not a distinction between the physical and spiritual you know that they're all linked we're, we're a fully human person um and i guess from from that perspective, there was always an acknowledgement of we need to be eating right and stewarding our bodies well. Um, and what does that look like? And I think increasingly there's become an awareness globally, but you know, I've become increasingly aware of just how um, destructive our current agricultural practices are. And um, partly because of the, the damage they're doing to our, our bodies with the pesticides that get sprayed, on, on our food because a lot of them, are, you know, a lot of our food is overly fertilized um, with stuff that's not organic and therefore they grow too well. And then you've got to put pesticides on because they attract pests, they attract funguses. So you put fungicide on and then all of that stuff is going into our bodies and it's affecting our bodies. Um, you know, the, the, the relationship between glyphosate, which is, is used on most crops around the world now and cancer is well established and yet it continues to get sprayed. So um, I guess I had this journey of, oh, my goodness, I need to start, you know, sourcing food in a better way. So um, we decided as a family we wanted to buy as much organic as we could. But we also decided we needed to grow as much as we we could. Um, and, and that's, you know, partly because we want to look after our bodies well. But it's also because we recognize that we're at a, a crucial point environmentally and agriculture. The way that we're doing it now on big scales um, is is failing we are going to run out of soil in 60 years. And part, I think, of the answer to that is small scale um, production of fruit and veg um, in your own backyard. Um, and also the, you know, the, the benefits um, of, of doing that are, are just huge. And because we've got this whole life health thing going on, um, we're aware of, of things like mental health. And, and Harvard published 
um, a study back in June or July showing just how good gardening in your own back garden is for your mental health. Um, you know, it's up there among, well, it is the best thing you can do for your mental health, seemingly. Um, gardening is joint with lots of things, but if you do it in your own back garden, for some reason, that, that's even better for your own mental well-being. So there are just so many benefits to growing your own fruit and veg. Um, and it, just this gradual transition where I think the seed was planted with my granddad. I spent a lot of time ignoring it, but then looking at the world situation, looking at our own health, it's like this is... Um, a large part of the answer. Mm. Well, we've seen your back garden and it is impressive, really impressive. I mean, look at your back garden, it is holistic by nature. Every inch is being used yeah. for this. Yeah. And for physical and for gardening and for it, yeah, it, that's true. it's impressive. But I have to say, Jake, for someone like me, it's also overwhelming. I look out and I think, boy, I'd like to be like this. But Where was I... the first thing that you planted? What yeah. was the first thing you did? did you do? <laughs> yeah. How do we even begin to get to that point? And I should imagine that most people who are listening are very much like us, looking out at their garden and saying, this is a great idea, but how do I start? And some may have a garden which is all grass. Mm. Some may have a garden which is semi-grass, but they also have concrete. And so they're like, do I just plant in the grass? Do I do raised beds? I mean, what, you know, what do I do here? So can you take us on a journey from the moment we look out at our garden and say, we've been convicted by Jake, uh, <laughs> now what? <laughs> I, think, I think the first thing is just do something. Um, it almost doesn't, doesn't matter what, but just go out, get your hands into the soil or... You know, if you, like you say, if you haven't got soil, get some raised beds and, and start getting, um, you know, maybe you buy some soil in, you, you know, get a local delivery of some topsoil. Um, and, and, you know, even if it's not the perfect start, um, just do something. Um, so when, when we started, we, we started with a really disorganized system. There was no design to it. Um, we actually, we, we built a gym out of scaffold. And as part of that, we, we wanted some boxes that you could jump on. And I thought, well, why not just fill these with soil and then make a lid so that when there's not a lid, we can grow stuff in there. And, and over time, they've kind of lost their function as boxes to jump on because the soil has become so important to us. But th that's how we started. It was haphazard. Um, we actually acquired some, some trough planters and we thought, well, um, you know, these, these are things about this deep. So there's not much soil to work with, but we thought, let's start growing some salad. And we did. The traditional thing, I guess, of sowing rows of, of rocket, um, of spinach. Uh, we did some carrots in our raised beds. And I think the seeds initially we, we popped down to is either B&Q or Wilco's or somewhere like that. And we bought, you know, seeds from the shelf, which um, isn't something I do now. But at the time, that's what got me on this journey. Yeah. Um, and I think part people not from England that those names are kind of like you know garden centers or DIY places street shops yeah you know wherever you can get some seed just start and, and the reason I say just start is because when when you get your first crop whether that be pulling a carrot out of the ground or um, whether that's seeing um, the first little I mean even even if it's floral you know not even something edible um, but you I, I noticed today that what I planted at my grandma's the first little shoots of the tulips are coming up um, and, and the wonder and, and awe that you have from that moment inspires you to do more and to read more. Um, and I think, you know, one of the beauties of the, the Internet is there's so much information out there where you can learn. Sure, there's a lot of nonsense out there, um, but by and large, the, the community 
out there who are trying to grow things, um, you're, you're hearing about someone's personal experience. It's something you can copy. It's something you can try something different. Um, and there's so many resources out there that can help you. And, and that's really um, how I started. And what I'd suggest people do is, is just plant a something in some soil somewhere. Um, and the journey that had me on them was really learning how to look after soil really well. Um, and another really fun thing that you can do is make compost. Um, so that's another first thing you can do. So even if you don't even start with any soil, you can make some soil by getting your, your kitchen scraps, um, sticking them in a, in a composter. We, we have a, you know, a few different advanced types of compost system now, but to begin with, it was just chucking it all in a pile um, and letting the insects get in there, letting the worms get in there and taking it out, you know, 18 months later and oh you've got something that resembles soil that um that we can work with here um so you know that there are two very simple things is a put a seed in the ground see what happens um try a few different things get inspired um and then start start looking after soil because that is that's a big issue in the world right now so if you can compost even if you're not going to grow anything if you've got food scraps make sure you compost them and you put them back into your garden um, if you've got leaves on the road outside your house if you've got leaves on your drive move to um, a bare patch of soil so that they degrade and go back into the soil rather than degrading on the side of the road and release their carbon into the atmosphere. Um, you know, even if you're not going to grow anything, there are some simple little tricks and, and tips you can, you can employ like that just to, you know, help the, um, the bigger picture as well. Yeah, I guess people think about this and they think the most important thing is what I'm taking and planting into the soil. But at the end of the day, if you don't have healthy soil, then the thing you're planting in it, it's not going to do anything anyway. Yeah, and, and really that's why we, we find ourselves with the issue that we, we have is we've, we've, we've tried to fertilise plants. Um, and, and to do that, we've just taken um, like uh, bulk mixes of nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus, stuck them on plants. Um, but in doing so, we've degraded the soil because, like I said at the start, the, 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 the plants get too full of water, they get almost too good, um, to the point where they're not sustainable, they attract too many insects, they attract fungi, then we have to treat them with, with other chemicals, which kills the bacteria in the soil. And, you know, just a spoonful of bacteria of soil, I think it's like six billion organisms in, um, in a tablespoon of, of soil. Um, and and that's, that's what's doing the work for us, are these organisms in the soil. So we have to feed soils in, in order to, to produce good crops that are sustainable. And, um, you know, if you're a little further on, where you've you know you've taken your seed and you think okay I, I've seen something grow I, I, I want to continue to do this then start investing in learning some soil management um, and there are some great resources out there um, if you search for permaculture or or no dig gardening um, they're two great um, philosophies of how to look after soil in a really simple almost lazy way but actually copies what you find in nature. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll just backtrack on one thing you said and to affirm you like. This last year, I bought some grow bags and I think you were out here and I thought, oh no, Jake is going to see my almost pathetic little He's grow just going to laugh at us. He's going to laugh at us. And um, you didn't, you encouraged me. But I'll tell you, I, the grow bags were too, um, they weren't deep enough for carrots, but I had put carrots in. So these carrots came out looking wonderfully weird shapes. The little but, little baby carrots. But I was so proud of my carrots. I mean, I was like, oh, look, I've, I didn't care that they were all crinkled and going in different directions, but I was really proud of my carrots, which is what you were saying about starting somewhere and you're 
be thrilled. But can I just feed? And, and, and we did potatoes as well. Oh, and we did, uh, we did slightly, the potatoes need a deeper soil, but we did those and we did eat the potatoes. Oh, yeah. And we well. had a feast. We really knew we yeah. were eating our own potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So somehow just... they tasted a bit better knowing they were ours. Yeah, they yeah. did. They yeah. really did. So I can relate to that. But can I just backtrack a minute and let's feed back? From um, complete amateur, have I understood you right? Compost. Tell us, define compost. Um, so compost is just the breakdown of organic matter um, into something which can be used to, to amend soil, something that can go into the soil um, to, to essentially add nutrients back into the soil. Uh, so your, your bare soil might be brick dust at the start, um, from a from a, a, a non-agricultural site, from an ex-industrial site. Um, you know, it, it could be that you've got a heavy clay soil um, where there's just a lot of compacted clay. You might have sand. Um, and what any of that needs in order to be um, a soil which can produce life is organic matter. It needs compost. Um, and, and you can do this a number of ways. It can be um, gathering your, your stuff together, so your kitchen scraps, your manures, your grass clippings, your um, what you've pruned from the trees that can all be put together and uh, microorganisms and fungi will break it down. Or you could do the lazy method and, you know, whatever you're chopping off from pruning. I've been pruning some roses today and I just used a method called um, chop and drop where I just prune everything off and let it fall onto the soil because um, that organic matter then is going to go back into the soil and, and essentially feed the soil. Um, so um, composting can be done a number of different ways, but essentially um, you're taking living matter, allowing it to break down into something more simple that can feed the soil, feed the soil bacteria, and, and then essentially feed the plants which are gonna grow again and, and give you a useful crop. So what you've got is this cycle. Um, and, and really in, a, in an organic system, the only major input is coming from the sun. It's coming from other renewable sources like water flows. Um, you know, you go to a forest um, and it hasn't needed a human to do anything, but it's, it's self-sustained. And one of the best things you can do as somebody who's trying to plant, somebody who's trying to do some land management is, is sit and watch nature. There's a great Japanese proverb that says the best um, fertilizer for the garden is the shadow of the gardener. Um, the more time you spend in the garden, the better your garden will be, because the more you will notice what's going on and the more you'll work with what's already happening. So in a natural system like a forest, um, you've got a small tree that's grown. It's captured carbon from the atmosphere. It's captured energy from the sun. It's got some nitrogen from the ground. It's, it's produced this bigger and bigger thing. Um, and then it starts dropping its leaves. And that carbon that's been captured from the atmosphere, plus nitrogen taken from the deep roots that have gone into the ground, that falls to the ground and becomes compost. It's just organic matter that's going back into the ground and that then can feed another tree, another plant, uh, you know, wild garlic that's growing on the, the forest floor, which is you know, a useful crop to humans. Um, and, and really what we, the, the aspiration really, and, and you don't need to start here at all, but the aspiration is to, to have a system that with very little input will give you yields because growing things like carrots and tomatoes is, is intensive and you don't find annual crops like that in nature. They've been selectively bred and I don't, I don't have any bones with that because I love tomatoes, I love carrots. Um, and if you want to grow those, great, go for it. Um, but I, I you know, also encourage people to look at what's happening in natural systems and, and see how far they can replicate that. 
And I mean, you talked about our garden and um, the back part of our garden is a food forest. Um, so there are, I mean, it's, it's, it's a small garden, um, yeah. but there are, there are probably um, 10 trees down there now. Um, some which are, are young productive trees, some which are, uh, are shelter trees, some which are providing food for bees. Um, and all of those are going to drop their leaves every year. And that back system after probably the back end of this year won't need too much input from us, um, which means we then got time to put into you know, our carrots and our raised beds and you know, those things that people would perhaps recognise more as um, you know, traditional gardening. Mm. Well, it actually sounds like um, less work too. You haven't got to go around collecting up the leaves and collecting up the grass and everything. It's just let nature, as it were, take its course. So build up, build up the ecosystem, let it get self-sustaining and then add the frills on top of that. Yeah, whatever. that's it. I think, you know, we, we want to recognise that we've been given this abundant world by God. And, and really, we want to be doing some light management in in that in that garden element and beyond the garden yeah there's this forest and there's these bigger systems and and we can we can make these creative and beautiful spaces for ourselves but we we don't want to be overly controlling um as soon as we start to control and manipulate and go as a human i'm, I'm going to be in charge of everything here um I, I think that's when we start losing our way um but when we when we're in tune with the kind of the the natural rhythms that, that have been established by the lord ultimately um, we can garden really well. And, and this is where modern agriculture is really letting us down because we're really heavy handed um, and it's become all about us and ultimately about rampant consumption um, and, and not thinking about giving back, um, you know, into the soil, into the natural ecosystem, into the different animals that we need to, to be working with us. Um, and, and, you know, so... Um, yeah, the more we copy nature, the less work it is for us. And I think the more in tune um, we are with what God's intention was for us, for, for our gardening and our production. So so we've got this, as it were, we, we're going to start saving our food scraps. We're not, we can let the leaves take their course and everything. And we have um, got some soil that um, we've been cultivating. Is that the word? Sure. Yeah. OK, we've got this soil, but we've started doing it. Now what? So you've you've got a, you kind of got your first crops. You've you've been inspired. You've got your carrots or your tomatoes or whatever, and, you, and you've got some decent soil. Um, and I think Andrew just just said this actually. You're looking for a bigger ecosystem. You're looking for something larger. So you start trying to to look for beneficial relationships. And, yeah. and this is. I was going to say this when you were here with us, and we were talking about your bags at the back of the garden. You're talking about the tree. And I thought about Avatar for people that have seen the movie. You've got this big tree, which is giving life to the things around it. And uh, I was going to say, can you talk a bit about this? Because which is what you're going on to do. But yeah. I was thinking about Avatar and uh, this tree giving life to others and, and, and creating a system around the bigger, the bigger tree. Yes. So carry on, Joe. Yeah, because like, when you've got a grow bag with your, your tomatoes in, you've got quite an isolated system. You know, it's, it's only that big. Um, but um, when you start thinking about the, the relationships between different elements of our life, you begin to piece things together and, and things start to become mutually beneficial. Um, so if we were to start from, from a common place for us, which is the, the dinner table, um, you're there, you've got your food scraps and you're thinking, OK, from the food, um, I've got this from wherever, from the supermarket, I've grown it in my own back garden. 
and and the output has been the food and then that goes into me and that outputs in energy but i've also got something left here whether that's animal bones whether it's a, an orange peel banana peel um the ends of the carrots that you've cut off you, you've not just got a leftover there but you've got a resource so you're learning to see everything as a potential resource and and those leftovers become your your ingredients for your compost um, but they also become the input potentially for your chickens um, so there straight away i've got two relationships um, are going on and let, let's follow the the trajectory of the chickens is I, i've given the food scraps to the chickens um, and so that then becomes a resource for them they eat it and they then produce eggs for me so there's a viable output um, but also they've got manure which is great again for my compost um, so that's going back into my food production system the chickens are also producing heat which means that the area right around our geodesic dome that our chickens are in tends to be fairly frost free so when we had minus six the other week um, we had frost on our on our gym area in the back garden um, we had frost creeping up the raised beds but they didn't make it into the raised beds because if they're raised they're, they're slightly warmer and the cold air is going to sink um, but right around where the chickens were because the chickens are in there and they've been running around heating it all day and because the geodesic dome is closed at the top it, it kind of provided a pocket of warm air which during the night seeps out and keeps the, the food forest more frost free so then i've got another output from my chickens so I've got another beneficial relationship. So they're keeping these areas frost free, which meant that we were able to grow nasturtiums right through into January. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with nasturtiums. They're a climbing or trailing plant with nice flowers. They're edibles, nice and peppery, um, real easy to grow. If, um, in fact, if you're, if you're completely new to gardening, get hold of some nasturtium seeds because you can plant them in rubbish soil and they will grow really well. They look beautiful and they're, they're edible. They're great for growing with kids. They're a really fun plant. But that meant they were able to go right through until um, you know just a couple of weeks ago um, because they were situated next to the chicken. So again, beneficial relationship. Um, the chicken then is providing me with eggs. Um, so we're coming back to the dining table again. Um, and from the chicken egg, I've got uh, a, a load of calcium left over that can go into the oven. Um, and it sits in the bottom of the oven. So when anything else gets cooked, the eggshells get baked. That can then go out onto the beds to provide the soil with calcium, which then provides me with better tomatoes or you know whatever my crop is. Um, so there, hopefully that, that shows you how you can craft together these beneficial relationships. Um, and, and that doesn't have to just be gardening. I mean, you know, the beneficial relationship can be much wider than that in terms of your, the way you capture the sun um, through having a south-facing aspect when you're designing houses um, to, to get more light in, which is great for growing conditions, but also great for just heating your house. Um, so it's learning to, to look at systems like this and go, how can I extend this? How can I make something here which might be a waste product in a, in a conventional system? So the food might just go into the bin and then go to landfill. Um, or, you know, um, the, the chicken poo, you might just dispose of that, whereas actually... It can go back into the ground so we're constantly trying to do what we what we what we'd call um closing the loop that's the permaculture term for it um so you never want to have a, a an input one side a process and an output but you want an input which feeds something else and just comes around into this loop and sometimes you are going to need external inputs and and you know don't want to kind of say never do that but you want to minimize that as much as possible 
when you talk about using chicken chicken poo for composting and all that kind of stuff and using the circle now does that work for any animal dogs cats um, it may not have they might have chickens but a lot of people have cats and dogs yeah it depends on the conditions um so typically because of the way that we've domesticated cats and dogs their diets and their lifestyles mean that there's a lot of toxins in their waste um now chickens tend not to have that issue because they're not domesticated to the same degree um that are you know our kind of indoor pets are so so chicken manure is brilliant um and then cow manure camel manure duck manure that that kind of stuff's the more easily processed manure now when you've got a manure that's got pathogens in you can still use it you just have to process it in the right way so one of our compost systems in our back garden is a hot compost where um we've got an insulated bin and dog waste does go in there from our, our dog um and because that's getting up to more than 40 degrees centigrade um i think for a I think half an hour is the recommended time. That's killing the pathogens that we don't want in there, um, but it's still allowing the beneficial bacteria to proliferate and give us good compost. So if you're doing hot composting, um, then human manure, dog manure, cat manure, that can all go through there. So, so even in, in that respect, you can close the loop. You just have to think a little bit and design into your system um, how you're going to do that in a safe way. Um, and if, if you if you weren't growing just food produce, but you had, um, you know, a kind of wilderness area that was giving just back to nature that you were just going to let go, you could you could even just throw your kind of non-safe manures straight onto there and let nature do its thing because you weren't going to be consuming anything directly from it in the next year or so. Um, so even even the things that, you know, we would say, you know, that's a, a dirty material. Um, actually, it's still a resource. OK. Um... Now, when we first started, uh, well, the trees, I mean, you can't do anything about it, but I, I would probably think, oh, okay, well, I'm going to plant carrots. And then every year I'll just plant carrots, 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 carrots. Uh, and when you were here talking to us, you were like, yeah, that's not ideal because uh, it's taking the same nutrients and stuff out of the ground every year, but you need that to, to replenish. So can you talk a bit about that as well, about, you know, rotating the things that you, you plant? Sure. Yeah, so I mean, crop rotation is a it's a well kind of founded thing, and, and actually, you even see kind of biblical principles about resting fields and um, and the way we use our, our crops and and even fallow areas around the outside, which kind of create a bit of wilderness um, and social justice. Um, sorry, that's taking a completely different train of thought there. Um, but yeah, so because you're say you just take your carrot example, you're just taking year on year the nutrients that a carrot needs which is going to be different to what a tomato needs different to a sweet potato and um, different to celery so you're going to exhaust the soil um, but also because a lot of particularly with annual crops there are a lot of diseases that the carrot could get and it could leave that in the soil which would then be there ready for the carrot again next year um, whereas typically say you follow your rotation from that carrot and then you go to a um, let's say you go to a tomato um, the tomato isn't likely to catch what the carrot has had so you want to stay away from having the same sort of family in there so if you've got so nightshade for instance so uh, tomato um, and um, what are they called potatoes um, and strawberries you can't follow those with each other because they are going to share pests because strangely they're part of the same family 
Um, so you'd want to rotate to something else. And you can typically get away with a three-year rotation, maybe four-year rotation um, of, of moving from family to family. Um, but again, this isn't the most beneficial way of, of agriculture or of, or of gardening. Um, so partly is planting in what you'd call a polyculture. So you've not just got carrots in one bed, but you've got some carrots, you've got some celery, you've got some, and particularly with carrots, um, to keep the carrot fly away, you might want to um, plant some something in the onion and garlic family. Um, so there's a, there's a mutually beneficial relationship there. But even um, to move beyond that, and this is what a large part of our system is now devoted to, we've only got um, three beds now where we're growing annuals. Everything else, we're growing perennials. And that is um, something that doesn't just be in the soil for one year, but it's going to be there for, for year after year. And it could be a short-lived perennial where it has three, four years. Um, and then obviously you've got trees, which are perennials potentially up for 600 years, um, you know, if you start thinking about oaks. Um, and the, 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 there are a myriad of benefits to, to growing what's called a perennial vegetable or perennial crop because they're going to put down deeper, more established roots, which hold soil in. Um, so you know, when we have extreme weather events, um, we lose so much topsoil because we've got loads of fields planted with annuals and they don't have roots that are permanently in the soil anchoring soil together. Um, whereas when you have um, long established um, crops, um, then you're able to better anchor soils. Also, you get better nutrients. Um, the thing is, we're not familiar these days so much with um, perennial crops. So in our garden right now, we've got something called Good King Henry, um, which is a bit like a spinach. It's something that used to get used in the UK all the time, but you won't find it on any supermarket shelves now. But rather than something that has to be replanted every year, it's in the ground and it'll be in the ground um, for five, six years. And it'll continue to add nutrients to the ground when it breaks down, once it's gone, it's going to anchor ground in and it's going to start to form beneficial relationships with other plants. So just like with the carrot and the onion, only it's got a much longer relationship with other plants in the garden. And just like with the human relationship, the more time they have together, the better they learn to work together. Um, exactly the same in the garden. So we've got a load of plants in our food forest. We've got lovage growing, Good King Henry, full strawberry, alpine strawberry. We've got some clovers. We've got some different mints. Um, we've got a fruit, few different fruit trees. We've got gooseberry, raspberry. And all of those are going to be there for a decent amount of time. Um, when we first planted them last year, we did also have extra space because they're all real small. So we planted um, some tomatoes and things in, in the gaps. Um, now the perennials are starting to take over. Um, and, and this is what you'd see in a natural system is you'd see a short lived thing fill a, a what's called a niche before a bigger plant took over. So if you leave um, land here in Britain, eventually you will get forests. Um, that's the natural succession in, in our temperate climate. That's different in the tropics, it's different in the desert. Um, so, um, so that's how here we would, um, you know, we would, I, I've actually forgotten what your initial question was now. I've kind of gone off on a massive tangent. Um, the big tree feeding it. Yeah, yeah. So there, yeah, we've gone through this, this kind of um, principle of succession where we've gone with the smaller stuff and because that's given us a quick return, um, but then we've got this bigger system that's growing all the time. And within that, we can still design elements to give us the crops that we want, um, you know, the, the annuals that we find tasty. But at the same time, we, we've, got, we've got to start growing some of the things that we've moved away from because you can't intensively farm things like 
Good King Henry or, or Lovage to the same degree that you can a, a sweet corn, a, a carrot, um, wheat, corn, um, and those kind of things. But the 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 benefit to eating from a system like this as well is that it's so good for our bodies. We're not needing to use pesticides because typically pests aren't attracted in the same way to um, the plants that grow in the big system. They don't have as, you know, snails and slugs aren't as interested in those plants because they're not as big and as juicy. Um, but also because you've got this more um, biologically diverse system, you're also attracting the predators of the pests. Um, so because we've got a bigger diverse system where say you've got a pond, um, the pond will be able to introduce frogs, which will eat your slugs. Or say you've got ducks, they're going to eat your slugs. Um, if you've got things like uh, voles or gophers that are eating your ground cover crops, um, then, you know, eventually you're going to get an owl, which is going to come and, and start taking those out. You know, you start attracting a bigger system, which will self-manage. Um, and a lot of permaculturists say that within seven years, you should have a system that can, that can manage itself effectively. Um, and you can speed that up if you if your system is not going to be as big, but that's kind of you know, massive farm scale. So you've got this bigger system and with that big system, you need less crop rotation. Um, sure, there's still a little bit of management here and there, but for a for a food forest system, actually, you can get away with about two hours input a month once it's established um, and then just take your food from it. There's um, here in the UK, there's a, a great place um, down in, in Devon, the Dartington Estate, which is where the Agroforestry Research Trust is based. Um, if, you, if you have a quick Google and, and put in Agroforestry Research Trust, Food Forest, um, the National Geographic did a quick three, four minute video on this place and it, it's stunning. Um, so food forests really are, are, are kind of the place to, to, to aim for in the long run, um, both for food production, but also in terms of locking up carbon and looking after the planet. Um, a lot of people would say that we need to be aiming for 70% forest cover. Um, in our agricultural systems, which is not what we have at the moment. When you you know you look over the feedlots that the cows are kept in, or the you know the soy production that's taken over the Amazon, um, it's not that. It's not sustainable, and and it needs to change. Um, but we can change that in our own backyard as well. Well, so you've been talking about forests. Um, can we move on to trees? Yeah. Trees, plum trees, pear trees. Forests are made up of trees. Yeah, but I'm talking about back garden trees, yeah, right? right? I'm not going to plant a forest. <laughs> well, not most. So here we are. We plant a tree. Is that it? I mean, from our own experience, right? I will tell you about our own experience, things I said at the beginning and know nothing. Um, we planted apple, pear, plum. Great. Uh, and cherry. Cherries. Yep. Well, Year one, we did wonderfully. Year two or, or so, there were less. The next year, were even less fruit. And now we're wondering, why did we plant all these trees when it seems to us that the fruit are gradually... Well, the pear tree, the yeah. pear tree is pretty consistent. The, the pear, pear tree, yeah. tree gives a lot of pears, uh, yep. most years. The cherries... We went away, didn't we? And when we came back, the birds had had The it. cherries, the birds love. Um, and so they it's, it's a race, us against the birds for the cherries. And at the minute, the birds are winning, hands down, <laughs> wiping the floor of us. But the apples, they kind of not... The apples uh, have slowed down fairly significantly. So, so 
here we are like we thought plant a tree and we're we're good for life so come on tell us jake what have we done wrong <laughs> um, there are a number of factors with trees um that, that could be affecting um what you've done i mean typically um in, in my experience and from what i've read if you if you get the right trees in the first place for where you are they're not going to need a whole lot of attention um, so a lot of our fruit trees that we can buy now, so if I were to go down to you know, my local supermarket, for instance, they have trees on sale at the front. Um, and they, they are typically dwarf trees or semi-dwarf trees. So they've been grafted onto a different root system to keep the, the tree small, um, manageable, and to get it to fruit earlier um, than, than a normal tree. So if you just have a, a, an apple tree on its own rootstock, it might not bear any fruit for the first five, six years, and then it's going to get really tall, um, you know, right up to 20 meters or whatever. Um, and you're going to struggle to, to get up and, and, and get your fruit from it. So a lot of people are growing on rootstocks, which in, intentionally gives some characteristics to a tree. Um, so I, I don't know where you bought yours from, but if it was if it was kind of from a local supermarket or somewhere like that, my, my imagination is they're going to be those kind of, trees that are grown on dwarf rootstocks no, um, a garden center although the one of the apple trees we got is a dwarf tree although one yeah. is a dwarf tree yeah 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 so but even the ones from the garden centers you know they're, they're going to have special characteristics which they've been selected for um and most trees are going to have they're going to prefer a certain soil type um and they're also going to you know want to have not a lot of competition around them in their early years um, so there are a number of factors with trees now if you plant a vigorous fruit tree on its own rootstock if it takes odds are it's going to do well in in most soils but um there's always going to be competition um so if you've planted them too close together you might have one that's established its roots better and is going to do better at taking the nutrients out of the soil um so that your other tree isn't going to get it um so that might maybe a reason it's not doing too well but i mean it sounds like your cherry tree and your pear tree are doing well so it sounds like overall your soil is probably good for fruit production um it could be that the apples just lost out a little bit but also have you cared for your soil you know have you mulched around your tree with some organic matter with some some compost um <laughs> you know if you've just planted into into grass then quite early trees when they young can struggle because of the competition from the grass also because um, as they get a bit older, if you've got a lot of nitrogen around, so say if you've got clovers in your grass, while they can be good for the trees starting to grow, um, in terms of fruit production, having too much nitrogen is going to hold the fruit production back. What it actually needs um, is, is more, um, see the potassium or phosphorus, one of the two that it needs for its, its fruit production rather than nitrogen. Um, so just a little bit of tree maintenance is probably what is needed. Um, so actually feeding the soil around it um, and if you're at the stage not where you are but if you're thinking about trees it's well worth looking at, at what sort of tree you want to get how long you want it to fruit for how tall you want it to be and um, and also um, whether it's going to suit your soil type because if you know you've got a heavy clay soil um, that's not been well managed it may well have become acidic lower down because there may be a compaction there and then there's anaerobic activity where oxygen can't get to lower down. Um, and a lot of people would recommend taking a soil type analysis where some local councils will do that for you. 
um, where you can send off your, your soil or you could just Google where's, you know, so who can send me a kit to get a soil, soil analysis. Um, they're, they're relatively inexpensive and they can sa save you some headaches along the line. If you've got a, a kind of a middle of the line soil where it's not massive clumps of clay, it's not falling through your hands because it's made uh, mainly of, um, of sand. If it's somewhere in the middle of those two, it's a healthy looking dark colored loam stick a tree in, see what happens. Um, you, especially if you've got a young tree, you're not gonna have spent much from it. You can even take a cutting from somebody else's tree. If you've got a neighbor who's got a tree like, if you look up on the internet, how to take a cutting, cultivate it for um, two years in a pot, keep it in sheltered conditions because that's where it's really vulnerable. Stick it in the ground and see what happens. So much of any gardening is about observation and just seeing what does well and what doesn't do well. Yeah, you can set yourself up really well by doing a soil analysis, getting a design all laid out. Um, but trees are fairly robust. Um, and, you know, there are some trees that are, are bred specifically to, to do well in, in any soil. Um, if you're really interested um, in a kind of comprehensive list of trees, um, then, then getting one of the kind of designers manuals um, like how to how to grow a forest garden or growing a forest garden. Um, books like that are great in terms of just giving you the details of going, this is a good tree that will do well pretty much anywhere, stick it in the ground and leave it. Little maintenance required. Okay, well, I said we were going back to real basics. Before we finish, I've got another really basic question. So most gardens, certainly in the UK, and I know it's different around the world, the big component is grass. Right? Yeah. There's grass. Now, I'm looking out and I say, okay, I, I, want, I want to move into what Jake's saying. I really understand the value. I really want to go there. But I'm looking at this grass. Um, do we go and dig it all up? Do we use it? Do, I mean, what do you do when you're starting from grass? Yeah. So the, the simplest way turn grass into a productive bed is to get some food scraps some food waste now if 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 you don't have enough to kind of create uh, an inch thick layer the size of a garden bed you want then go to a restaurant go to anywhere that's got a large kitchen a conference center something like that and say do you have any food scraps so that you can create uh, an inch or two depth of food scraps and and this could be um, something that's a meter by two meters. You know, th this is a good way to get started. Lay it on the grass and then get some manure. If you've got horse, horse stables are really um, generous with their manure. Freyer and, um, and Tilda at the moment have just popped down to the stables to get some uh, manure from there for a little project we've got going on. Um, not in our back garden, but in my grandparents' back garden. Um, you can get other manures, of course, as well. But if you're living in the city, Generally on the outskirts of the city somewhere, there'll be somebody who's riding horses if you're living in, in a kind of temperate climate. So, you know, if you're North America, Canada, uh, right across Europe, you'll find people keeping horses. But whatever manure you can get your hands on, get it, stick that down on top of your um, your peelings, your, your uh, fruit, um, sorry, food scraps. Um, and again, you're looking for kind of two or three inches. And then you're going to soak a load of cardboard. Um, so any cardboard boxes you get, save them for a while or go to a supermarket where you can get um, boxes. Make sure you remove any tape, any labels, anything like that. These days, you don't have to worry about the ink 
or anything like that on, on there because they're typically vegetable dyes. And then you want to soak them. Once you've soaked them, put them on top of what you've already created with your food scraps and your manure. And the, the cardboard is going to create a, a barrier for any weeds that are going to try and come up or the grass underneath to make sure that can't come through. And then on top of that, you're going to put a mulch material is what you'd call it. Um, and this could be straw. Um, hay is not great because, again, you're going to get grass seeds in there, but straw typically is quite good. It could be really fine wood chip. It could be bedding um, from any animals where, you know, still got a bit of manure mixed in. Um, and any high carbon material. Um, so again, it, it could even be shredded cardboard if you've got access to shredded cardboard rather than sheets of cardboard. Um, and you're going to pile up three inches. Um, so then you've got a kind of layer like this on top of the grass. And now what you're going to do is you're going to grab um, any seedlings you've got. So say you've got a little tomato plant that you bought in a pot or you've put a seed in and you've seen it grow and you've nurtured it on your windowsill. You're then going to take it out make a little hole in that top layer that's on top of the cardboard, fill that with some soil, and it doesn't have to be compost, it can be compost, but it could just be soil that you found, you've dug out from underneath the lawn or whatever. Um, put that into the hole and put your seedling in there. Um, now this, this seems daft because you're thinking, well, there isn't any soil there, there's just a load of materials that seem like nothing, but what you're doing is you're just composting right on top of the grass. Um, and it means you haven't got to do any glass, grass clearance, because if you want to if you want to remove all the grass and cultivate that whole area, it's a lot of work. Getting grass up is difficult. But if you can kill the grass by layering it over, then the grass dies, but it dies back into the ground. So all the nutrients that the grass has accumulated over the years, that's going to be there. And eventually your plants are going to be able to access that. The cardboard is going to break down over time. Worms are going to come up to the surface to get into the manure and the food scraps. But corrugated cardboard particularly makes like little, um, you know, it's kind of got the little grooves in. That's great nesting for the worms. Um, so they're going to come up. They're going to make little nests in there. They're going to start breaking down the, the manure. They're going to start breaking down the food scraps. And that's then going to become available to the tomato that you've put in there or the courgette that you've put in there. Um, so that's a real simple way to make a very quick raised bed. Um, you could, of course, buy yourself a, um, sorry, I mean, that's not even raised. I mean, that's just kind of on the ground and it will just mulch down. And you can repeat that around. You may want to put a board around it so that you define it a little bit um, and you can then start building up the organic layers and you can repeat that process every year to start building the soil and start feeding it. Um, that's a real simple way to start. But say, um, I didn't answer this question when you asked at the start, actually, if you've got a concrete yard, um, then you can do exactly the same, but build it in a raised bed. Um, so first you want to get a lot of soil. And because you're putting the organic matter on top, just it doesn't matter where the soil is from almost. I mean, yeah, you don't want to get diseased soil, but the, the, the length you've had to go to to find out what condition the soil is in, you may as well just try it and see if it works, especially if you're putting in some tomato seedlings or something and your investment isn't large. Um, you've not forked out a load of money for it, just, just give it a go. Um, make yourself a raised bed on top of your concrete, stick some soil in, get organic matter on top, that process that I've just explained, repeat it on top of the soil you put in and, and you're good to go. You can do the same in a container pot. Um, again, just organic matter on the top. If you've got access to already composted material, great, just go, go ahead and stick that on as well. Um, the great thing about already composted material, if it's fully composted, you can just stick it straight on top 
of your soil and straight around the plant and you don't need to worry about building up the layers. Um, but it, it really is simple. Um, there aren't too many things that could go wrong um, with that system um, because you're just working with nature, you're letting the compost do its thing and ultimately you're just, you're just starting out. Um, if you get a small crop your first year, you're going to learn something along the way and you can improve it the next year. And uh, for, I guess one last question for people that are going to do the raised beds, um, different things need different depths. I, I guess potatoes may be ones that need more than others, but is there sort of a, a generic height that if you, if you get a raised bed this deep, you're pretty good for most things? Yeah, so unless you're growing root vegetables, then six to 12 inches is great. Um, ultimately, the deeper you go, the more variety in the future you can grow in there. Um, especially if you want to start rotating your crops and you want to have root vegetables, say you want to start growing sweet potatoes or um, you want to grow parsnips, then the deeper, the better. I mean, we, we've had parsnips that are kind of three foot long. Um, so the deeper you go, the more scope you've got to do um, different adventurous things. But if you're only growing things above the surface, you can get away with six inches of, of, of kind of nutritious soil. If you're growing salad crops, um, then you know you only need a couple of inches of soil um, to get a decent salad crop. I mean, people are growing salad crops in gutters now with aquaponic systems where they're not even using soil. Um, but that's you know that's something quite complex. Um, but yeah, you don't need a huge amount of depth. But my recommendation is, if you can use more depth, go for more depth. And if you can at all actually link whether you've got a raised bed or not, if you can link it to the the subsoil that's already there, the grass that's already there, the the kind of organic stuff that's down in the ground already do that because long term you're going to benefit um and you'll find some species that, that pull um those nutrients up to the surface as well so especially if you're going for a forest system you're going to plant some things intentionally um like some comfries and like some sorrels that are going to pull nutrients up to the surface for you right well, yes uh i think that is uh a good start for people. I think Let, we've given a, a lot of information for them to think about some basics. Let, let's go head to the garden. Steps. I'm not going now, it's too cold. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but thank you, Jake, uh, for taking the time. I know that there's been a lot of interest in this, so we, we wanted to get you yeah. on if we could to, to talk about it. And hopefully this will inspire people to be able to take, like you said, just take a step, just do something and uh, be inspired by what you do as you see it grow. And hopefully it will go from there. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.